Han von Megaren was born in 1889 in Amsterdam. And he actually became a very well-known painter. He once sold one of his paintings uh, called The Disciples of Emmaus to the Rembrandt Society for $4 million. That's a lot of money at any point, but in the early 1800s, that's a lot of money. The society put the painting in sort of an isolated, quiet place in a museum, and people reported that as they walked by the painting, they felt a certain kind of blessing by looking at the painting. The word they used is, as they walked by, they felt consecrated. Just looking at this picture by Megaron of the disciples at Emmaus. There was one small problem with Megaron's paintings, and that's that they were fakes. Megaron himself did not... uh, He painted these uh, famous paintings, but they were famous because they were actually painted by someone else. So he was just a copy artist. And he would write the very famous person who made the painting at the bottom corner, and then he would sell his counterfeit paintings for millions of dollars. He actually perfected this technique of painting and then heating the paint and then rolling the picture so it had cracks in it. So it was very difficult to tell, even if you were an expert, to know if this painting was real or this painting was a fake. He made the paint look three or four hundred years old. And so many people bought his paintings thinking they had originals, but they were really copies or they were counterfeits. You know, Megrin's life is interesting, and to know about his paintings may be somewhat uh, fascinating. But but those counterfeits really don't um, they really don't impact our lives. They don't have any meaningful uh, reality into what we're doing today. But what if we encountered a set a different set of counterfeits? What if we were called on to be the people, the experts who were supposed to discern the counterfeits? What if what was at stake was not just money, but your eternal destiny? What if we were required to choose between two people? One person who was claiming, both people who were claiming to have a word from the Lord and you were to listen to these two people, and your discernment was going to determine your eternal destiny. Well, at that point, you'd have a lot more interest. You'd really want to know what was real and what was the counterfeit. When we come to the book of Jeremiah, we find that he combats counterfeits. He combats false prophets all the way across this 40 years of ministry, and he specifically speaks to them here in chapter 23. What happens with Jeremiah is he goes to the temple, and he preaches, this is the word from the Lord, and the people go home, and they turn on their television sets, and they start hearing the counterfeit message. 
And there's a lot of confusion in the land as to which person we're going to believe, which one's got the real truth, what's, what's the real word. It, this is so helpful because you and I, we know we live in a culture that piles on information and people who are claiming truth. And you and I have to discern well, what's the truth and what's a counterfeit. And many times you have to look real closely to determine, hey, this one is counterfeit. When your son or daughter goes off to college and they say, well, I visited a church. As a parent, you're asking, well, what's, what's the name of that church? And if they say, well, you know, it's some non-denominational church. It meets in a gym. What's your first reaction to that? Okay, I need some more information. Can you help me out? I, I want to make sure you're, you're not getting involved in a counterfeit. If your high school son or daughter comes home and you say, well, where have you been? Well, I spent an hour or two in this high school kid's house and, well, who was running it? Well, you know, some college kids were running it. I, it was called Young Life. I mean, that's about all I can say about it. As a parent, you would immediately have your antenna up and you'd say, well, is that is that true or, or is that a counterfeit? It'd be the same way if you had an encounter with, with two young men who wore a white shirt and a nice tie and they rode bicycles through your neighborhood and they came to your door and you began to talk to them. You would have to discern, well, is that is that true or is it a counterfeit? We have competing messages all over our culture. And that's why Jeremiah is so helpful. Helps us exercise discernment. And this morning I want to take a look at these counterfeits and I want to do a couple of things. First, I just want to make two general observations about counterfeits. Or as Jeremiah would say, false prophets. Just two general observations that we should be aware of and have our antenna up about, and then I want to see from the text three of the criteria that Jeremiah uses to help us false to, to find out which is a false prophet, which is not. What's the truth? And there are all kinds of criteria we can use. There's all kinds of different criteria in different places in the Bible, but I want to stick to how Jeremiah helps us specifically this morning. First of all, a couple of general observations. First of all, about counterfeiting, we should expect counterfeiting. We shouldn't be caught off guard by counterfeiting. Anything that has value we know in our culture is easily counterfeited. You can get counterfeit pocketbooks. You can get counterfeit wallets. You can get counterfeit CDs. You can get counterfeit diamonds. You can get counterfeit paintings. And whatever in our culture has value, then you can be sure it's going to have a counterfeit. And if we're talking about a word from the Lord, the thing that's most valuable in anyone's life, if there really is a word from the Lord, if there really is a truth that He's trying to help us understand, we should anticipate that there's going to be a counterfeit. We see it right from the beginning, Adam and Eve. They've had a word from the Lord, and right in the beginning, somebody comes in and says, 
Did God really say? And he offers a counterfeit. And it makes a difference in their lives, and it makes a difference in everyone's life after that, including yours and mine. So it's important that we know that there are going to be counterfeits out there. Jesus, in his last one of his last lessons in Matthew 24, he says this to his disciples, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. John, the last living apostle, writes this in 1 John, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. There are all kinds of counterfeits out there, and they prey on you, and it matters for your life. When I was in high school, I wasn't a particularly good student. And one of the things that I did not like to do was to read. Why would you want to read when you could go outside and play? I just couldn't quite figure that out. But I remember when I was in high school, I just got captured by the cover of a Time magazine. And it was one of the first things I thought, I am fascinated fascinated and fearful about what I see on the cover of this magazine and in the article. In 1978, when I was a sophomore in high school, the cover of the November, one of the November issues was a picture of 909 dead bodies across a field. If you're old enough to remember, you remember the man named Jim Jones. And he was a, a false prophet. He was somebody who started out in the church. He, he sang Christian songs. He read out of the Bible. But he began to lead people astray. And at the very end, what during an investigation, he asked his people, part of the people's temple, to all take a little sip of Kool-Aid that had poison in it. And they had bought into the false prophet and 909 men, women, and children lost their lives because they could not exercise discernment about what the truth is and what a lie is. So it matters. It matters a great deal that you understand what the truth is and what is a false prophet. In every generation, there's going to be false prophets, and we should expect them here in our day. Second general observation is that because there are counterfeits, that shouldn't shouldn't draw us to this conclusion. You know, there's so many opinions out there in religion. I mean, who can decide? You ever heard that conversation? You're sort of in a conversation with somebody and, you know, maybe they're just not really wanting to have a lot of religious conversation and sort of just sort of cut off the conversation. They say something like, well, you know, there's all kinds out there. You know, who can decide? Do you exercise that kind of discernment in other areas of your life? Do you say, you know, there are all kinds of counterfeit $20 bills out there. 
I mean, who knows? A number of them. I got tons of them in my Monopoly set. And I don't know, you know, if this Monopoly money's real or this money's real. I mean, I just can't decide which cash is real because there's so many counterfeits, so I'm just not going to use cash. Thank you for cash, but no, I'm done with cash. No, you exercise some discernment. You begin to see, oh, this is what the real looks like and this is what a fake looks like. You do that in all kinds of areas in your life because you know there are counterfeits. You decide, I have to exercise some discernment. And in this most important area, we shouldn't have it as a sort of a cop-out to say, well, you know what, there's so many counterfeits, you can't know. And you can know. And so it's important for us to exercise the discernment. The people from the Rembrandt Society exercised discernment. They weren't interested in spending four more million dollars on fakes. And so we need to do the same. Now let's take a look at the three criteria that are in the text here about how we would exercise that kind of discernment. Verse 14 But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. These are the false prophets. They commit adultery and walk in lies, and they strengthen the hands of evildoers. Jeremiah sees the false prophets. He he sees what they're saying, and then he walks home with them. And he sees that what they're talking about on Sunday morning is not matching up with how they're walking out their lives on Monday afternoon. One of the ways that you can tell the difference between a false prophet and a true prophet from the fake message and the real message is by looking at the life of the messenger. And Jeremiah is saying, I'm looking at your life, I'm hearing what you're saying, and when I follow you back home, I see that you're lying and you're committing adultery. I think it's really important for us in this culture because we we are living in a political culture and and in a leadership culture where people want to divide the message from the messenger. We live in an environment that says, well, the person is so brilliant and they got so many good ideas and their personality is so charismatic, it's okay if they can't control their sexual appetite. It's okay if they tell these little lies. That's fine because their message and their brilliance and their charismatic nature is, is we want to follow after that. And Jeremiah is saying, please people, do not be fooled by those things. Do not be fooled just by brilliance. Do not be fooled by some powerful personality or charisma. Look at the message and the messenger. And if you find a messenger who in any way cannot live up to the message because he's lying to protect himself or he's using sex for his own pleasure, then you have run in to a false prophet. This is exactly the sign the people under Jim Jones should have been able to know. Not everyone died in the mass suicide. And some of the people who escaped said to reporters, we should have known. 
We should have known because what we did know is that he was having inappropriate relationships with men and women. And we were just too afraid to speak up because of the the force of his personality. And we got caught up in the messenger. And they failed to exercise discernment and it cost many of them their lives. And so Jeremiah is sending us a warning. If you encounter a leader who bends the truth, who misuses sex for their own pleasure, you're sniffing out a counterfeit. I think that's why there's so much emphasis in the New Testament, especially on leadership in terms of character. Remember what Paul writes back to Timothy? Timothy is this new church planner in Ephesus, and they've gotten sort of this church going, and Timothy's left behind to be the pastor of this very growing church in this metropolitan city. And Paul writes back and says, Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine. You see, Timothy, you might be brilliant on doctrine, but if you're not watching your life, you're going to be leading people astray. So, Timothy, watch your life. In the same book, 1 Timothy, Paul writes about people who are qualified to be elders. And you and I might naturally think, without reading the passage, well, he's going to go through a lot of doctrinal things that this person has to affirm. And he doesn't. He goes through a a long list of characteristics, character qualities that you have to have. And the reason he's doing that is because somebody can come in with the right doctrine and you might be overwhelmed because they seem to have it all down and you'd be inclined to follow that person, but you must also examine their life. And if their life isn't matching up with their doctrine, then you don't need to move in that direction in terms of a leader. I would ask you to pray for your your elders, your pastor, not, not just for their doctrinal security, but the character and their conduct. And you might be sitting there thinking, <laughs> I guess I'm not going to be an elder. Uh, never going to sign up to be a pastor. And don't want my life examined that closely. I'm okay because I'm sort of out in the congregation. What, what does Peter say about every believer? You are part of the priesthood. You. You're a priest. You're the representative. When you go home, when you go to work, when you go to your neighborhood, when you go to your high school, when you get around a a group on a soccer field or wherever you may go as God's representative, you're the priest. You're the one everyone's looking at. And they're saying, what's this man or what's this woman saying? And they want to hear what you have to say and they want to look at your life. And so we need to ask ourselves, not just of the pastor, not just of the elders, but you. Are you watching your life? 
People are watching your life. And are you leading them in the right direction, not only doctrinally, but by your character as well? One way to sort of sniff out a false prophet is to make sure that their their message matches up with their character. Second way Jeremiah gives us is to look at the authority of their message. Verse 16, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds and not from the mouth of the Lord. And they say continually to those who despise, despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster will come upon you. And then in verse 25, he says this, I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have a dream. I have a dream. You see what's happening in Jeremiah's day? It may be hard for us to picture, but people are saying, I have a word from the Lord. I've heard from the Lord. They're they're standing there, not doing the hard work of being in the Word of God. They've given up on that hard work of reading the law. they've, They've jettisoned really reading God's law. Remember the law was lost in Jeremiah's day and Josiah found it again and you had the law finally. It was in access. But people didn't want to do the hard work of really digging up what the law had to say. Instead, they wanted to just say, I had a dream. I had a vision. And because of my dream and because of my vision, then you should follow me. The prophets are running around in the church saying, God told me. But then when you go back to this word, you can't find that anywhere. We live in that kind of culture. We live in the religious culture that even inside the church, people are saying, well, God told me, well, God told me. And it's just a vision, it's just a dream, it's, it's just a hunch, it's just something that's coming out of your, your heart or your mind, but you can't seem to ground it down into the Scriptures. And when you hear somebody saying that, you just need to be careful. I think that's what Paul's getting at in Galatians 1. He says this to the people of Galatia, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion or trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should come and preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. You see, Paul had picked up what Jeremiah had laid down. Paul had understood that really there's just one true gospel. And no matter how charismatic, if an angel shows up and gives you a different gospel, then you need to move in a different direction. You need to be able to find what the person's saying in the Bible. It has to be ground in the Bible and pulled out of the Bible. Jim Jones, one of the turning points in this church-turned-cult, 
was chillingly described by one of the former members. His name was Hugh Fortson. And he remembers Jones saying this at a particular point in his ministry. Jones was trying to make this transition away from people believing in the Bible to believing in Jim Jones. And Fortson reports this. Jones said, A lot of you people, you Christian people coming in, you're so hung up on the Bible. But I'm going to show you this has no power. So he leaned way back and like a football player, he flung the Bible. And when he flung it and let it go, the place got dead quiet. And we waited until it hit the floor. Pow! When it hit the floor, he stood and he looked back and forth and he said, Now, did you see any lightning come from the sky and strike me dead? What you need to believe in is what you can see. If you see me as your friend, I'll be your friend. If you see me as your father, I'll be your father. If you see me as your God, I'll be your God. Now, when you hear that, you say, how foolish. How could you possibly follow after somebody like that? And my guess is if somebody came in here today and did something like that, you just have a revolt. I hope you would. I hope you'd all stand up and either walk out or collectively pick this person up and throw them out the door. That's what I would hope would happen. But I think what can happen, and I'm afraid what does happen in some churches, is you go to church, somebody stands up, they read the Bible, then they close the Bible, and then they just begin to tell you about themselves and what they think and stories. And I'm not saying there aren't Christian men and women in those churches, or even Christian pastors, but it begins with a tiny little step of me just closing my Bible and putting it aside, telling you by a verbal cue, now what you really need to pay attention to is what I'm going to say right now. When you get into those situations, you're going to sniff out a false prophet. And it will not be long before that person shows you a cup of Kool-Aid. They want something from you. They do not want something for you, which is what Jeremiah is talking about. Finally, I think the third signal that Jeremiah gives us here, third thing to watch for when detecting a counterfeit, is that false prophets don't tend to bring you bad news. You can see this in verse 17. They said continually to those who despise the word of the Lord. So there's a false prophet. They're preaching to a group of people who do not like the word of the Lord. And they look at these people and say, it's, hey, it's okay. I mean, it, yeah, no big deal. You don't like God's word. And then the people say, well, you know, we really like to follow things in our own heart. Whatever our heart says, we're sort of into that. You'll be fine. Okay. Who 
wouldn't like that message. I like to follow my own word and my own heart. (laughs) That sounds like me as a sinner. I'm all into that. And if I come to the church and the church says, that's okay. You'll be just fine by following your heart and your own words. Then you're smelling out a false prophet. And Jeremiah stands up and says, you've got a problem. You're the problem. And people don't like Jeremiah's message. The problem can be with somebody else. The problem can be with my parents. The problem can be with the world. The problem can be with the church. But Jeremiah says, no, you're the problem. And we need to get to the problem in your heart before we go anywhere else. And he's terribly unpopular. You know, I thought about this and it'd be like going to a doctor. You go to the doctor and, you know, no matter what you've done, they say, Paul, you're all right. You look, you're fine. I, you know, I'd try to take up smoking. I understand that's a good idea. And, you know, are you, are you watching enough television? Because I'm concerned, Paul. You look like you're not watching enough television. And I do not want you to get too much exercise. You know, this high blood pressure thing, I, I wouldn't worry about that. I mean, would we want to go to a doctor who told us those kinds of things? But maybe I shouldn't ask that. We, we really don't want to go to a doctor who tells us those kinds of things. I mean, maybe initially that sounds good, but you know what? When you have a problem, you want a doctor who can say, look, I know this may be difficult to hear, but you have a real problem. And you don't hit your doctor for that. You kiss him. Thank you for diagnosing my problem. Now, can you give me some real help? And that's exactly what Jeremiah was doing. He was coming in, he was dissecting the culture, and he was saying, here, the problem is you. You people in the church, you're not living for God anymore. You're living for yourself. That's the problem. What a great physician to come in and tell us that. But the people in Jeremiah's day, and I'm afraid many of the people in our day, really just come to church to be affirmed in what they're already doing. And it leaves Jeremiah on the outside many times. If you're sitting under the teaching of someone who really wants to emphasize your goodness, and really wants to reduce or minimize your sin, then your your antenna should go up. I might I might have a false prophet here on my hands. Jeremiah is the true prophet. His 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 character matches his message. He's he's always saying, this is what the Lord has to say. He's not telling you a dream. He's not telling you a vision. And he looks at his congregation in the face and he says, you have a problem. But he offers a solution. And we saw it last week, again, in Jeremiah 23, verse 5 and 6. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. 
And this is the name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. You and I do not have a righteousness that can measure up. You and I have a problem that we're never going to deal with on our own. And so we need someone else, somebody from the outside to come and be my righteousness. And Jeremiah says, that person's coming. The new king is coming. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he's going to say, instead of your death, I'm going to die on your behalf. And so he comes. And he makes a new covenant. And he makes a new covenant in his blood. That if anyone would believe on Christ, if anyone would confess that they are a sinner in need of a Savior, then he has given his body and His blood for you. You come and take His righteousness. And He comes to take your sin. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come and celebrate communion today, You give good warning in Your Word that people should not take of the bread and the wine without first examining their own souls. The people who are unbelievers need to think first. Consider what they've given their lives to and trust in You. Lord, we have from You a true message. A message of hope. And I pray now for this event, that it would strengthen the faint-hearted. It would encourage the weak. It would remind the sinner of a greater grace than his sin. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.